Thank you, Pastor Paul. It's a real privilege to be here with you. <clears throat> As he said, right now I'm working on translation. Um, what I'm doing, if you look up on the board behind me there, I'm revising. Uh, years ago we started translation and as we had a church that seemed at that time to really be growing and we wanted to get them God's word, so really pushed for it. Well, over the years as we taught and interacted with the people, our ability in the language uh, got better and finally realized we need to revise the translation. We found some things out about their grammar. We learned new ways to say things. And so that's what I'm doing. Uh, the column on the right <clears throat> is, uh, you see a lot of red in there. That is what I have changed. Uh, the black is what originally was done. We just left it. The, uh, the red is, is what was changed. On the other side, so I'll just read the first verse. Just kind of let you see what it, it says. Eu, uh, Paulo chamou a carta, Ephesus no Sanata, Deus no Kivoku, Now, to check the content of the translation, obviously the guy that's going to be checking doesn't speak Katukina. There's only, besides the Katukina folks themselves, there's only about three other people that have ever really learned their language, four, I guess. Uh, Scott, myself, my wife, and one other Brazilian gal we had working with us. The language, the, the grammar is very difficult. But what, so what we do, normally in most of our fields, we, we, have, we make what we call a BTE, a Back to English Translation. So you read the Katukina, write it in English as close as the, to the Katukina as you can. But in Brazil... 80% at least of our missionaries and our field leadership are Brazilian nationals. And uh, most of them don't speak fluent English, so what we do is we write, uh, we, we translate it back into Portuguese. Because the good chance that the checker that I'm going to have down there, the basic Scott will be working with him, will be a Brazilian fellow. So this is kind of what I'm doing. It, it's very time-consuming, uh, sitting at the desk and at the end of each month, I send in a report to the mission to, uh, it's not they're trying to keep, uh, keep up on me, but the IRS wants to know what I'm doing here in the States and why I'm saying I'm a missionary if I'm here. And this is uh, <clears throat> so that the mission can justify people uh, sending support to us. I'd like to just look this morning at the verses. I actually was, I had uh, another passage for the message, but uh, when I heard what your, your theme was, I began to read that and the Lord just spoke to my heart. So let's uh, open to Matthew chapter 9. Uh, I like to uh, usually go a little bit ahead before the verse that I'm uh, preaching on to see kind of how it fits into the context there. So I'm going to start with verse 35 and then read through 38. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Our Father, we come to you this morning, and we would pray to you as the Lord of the harvest. As you see a world, Father, that's lost and dying, that desperately needs the message of the gospel. And we pray, Father, that you will touch your children's hearts and those that you desire to send out, that, Father, you will show them what your will is for them, and that you will lead them each step of the way. We pray, Father, this morning as we look at your word, that you will just guide and direct and give us open hearts to receive what you have for us. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Now, if you would like to, if I were speaking to a Katkina group this morning, uh, I'll just read the verses 37 and 38. Jesus, <laughs> 
Havimi otipakwinyanga maa havimi tastaibo otimaki. Lokiwa iyao, aros kusa vimi vanashinya honi kusa winking, oraikin vi, mi vimi tastai kusa paikin, loki otipa mi vimi tastai kusa ma paikin, hato yonoitso ishom, lokiwa i yokaitso mana, jazusang yosinya ibo, akiatiasha. So that's how you would say it in, port, in, uh, in Katakina. I won't go into Portuguese, although I, I will tell you one thing. One, we missionaries that have been in Brazil, and our Brazilian brothers have a real advantage over most of you folks, because all of the Brazilians will tell you Portuguese é a língua dos anjos, which means Portuguese is the angel's language. So when you guys get to heaven, you've got to spend your first year in language study, but, but we that have already learned Portuguese, we can just go around <laughs> enjoying a fellowship with the folks up there. Okay, let's uh, look at this passage this morning and just see what God has for us. Uh, one of the things, one of the ministries the Lord has led us into besides uh, the, the food pantry here at the church, I also help at the uh, Wayside Cross Mission. And on the first Wednesday of every month, I have the morning chapel. And that ends at lunchtime. And I guarantee you, I do not go over on my messages when I'm speaking it there because they just get up and walk out. I mean, lunch is lunch. Uh, but it's been a real joy to work with those folks there. Uh, these guys are real. I mean, a lot of them are rascals, and a lot of them are there just because uh, uh, they have to be there. But, but uh, when you get some guys, uh, the two guys that I'm counseling now, it's just absolutely joy. I have, uh, every Friday morning I go in and, and spend an hour with each of these guys, and, and it's, a, it's a real thrill. But anyway, <clears throat> uh, getting back to the message, the, the harvest is plentiful. Now, there is no, need, uh, no lack of people who desperately need the gospel. You know, the Lord Jesus Christ, in the, in the fourth chapter of John, he had been dealing with the people of Samaria. And he s- sat down at the well and talked to the Samaritan woman, and <clears throat> then, through what he said to her, basically a good part of the town came to faith in Christ. And later he was talking to his disciples, and he said kind of the same thing that we read in our, in our passage, do, do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. We can look throughout the world. Uh, <clears throat> roughly, there are about, I guess, 90% of the world's population speaks English. So that leaves, uh, uh, no, I'm sorry, 10% of the world's population speaks English, 90% does not speak English. But about 90% of all Christian ministry is done to the 10% who speak English. And so the 90% who don't speak English, they have 10% of all the Christian ministers and missionaries trying to reach them. So there there's, is a bit of an imbalance. Now we have... Things when we first started working on translation, I would, I had a book, and I had an eight translation uh, New Testament there, and I would do the exegesis, try to figure out how this thing, uh, how we would say it in the Katakina language. I write it in that notebook, and then I'd get together with one of the Indian guys who was helping me, and I'd make my corrections, and then I'd get up and I'd just run for my typewriter. Because my handwriting is so lousy that if I let it sit for two days, I'd forget what I'd written. So I had to get it on a typewriter right away. So after a couple of months, all of a sudden, out of the blue, I find one of these words. Let's say grace, just for example. All of a sudden, uh, I found there's a better way to say it than what I've done. So that means I've got to go back now and all this typewriting material and find out every place where I had grace, cross that out and put the new way to say it. So in 1985, I was able to get my first computer into the work. And just the, the one search and replace... Uh, function of the computer was worth everything uh, that I had. There was a lot more that it would do. But there, <clears throat> so we have a lot of better ways. Like Brazil, for example, they say there's over 300 languages spoken in the country. And I think there is work being done in about 60 of those 300 languages. 
I know I saw pictures recently, not too far from where we were, of the Coruba Indians. They're also known as the headbashers. And these guys flew over and took pictures of them. That's a tribe that is in the, completely isolated. They have no idea what television is. They've never heard of a computer. They speak their own language. You do not speak any other language. They are completely unreached. And the, the government, the Brazilian government, who is not favorable towards missionaries working with Indians, uh, they've got a wall of protection around them. And the one thing they're bound and determined to do is keep missionaries out of there. But we have a God who is all-powerful, and he can, can work in, even in spite of the Brazilian government. So <clears throat> there are, like I was talking to my son the other day on, on Skype. Uh, he happened to be out in town, and, and he, he said that we still have a tremendous need for cross-cultural missionaries. A lot of mission groups are doing something I really hardly approve of. They're sending pastors here from the States to go down and work with pastors from the country. Because these people know their culture, know the language better. And they work with them and help them develop messages and, and uh, teaching their people. And that's, that's a fantastic thing that's happening. But for the tribal people, these isolated groups, we still need cross-cultural missionaries. And unfortunately, Americans are about the best ones there are. Uh, I know as, as I was working with, uh, with Pawa, the guy that mainly helped me in translation, there would become times when I would come up with a term he never even thought about. They're not used to playing with their language like somebody from the outside does. So we go in and look at this thing and twist it and turn it and squeeze it. And, and every once in a while we come out with something that really works. To this day we're still looking for a word for forgive because culture is, a, is a, an expression, or language is an expression of the culture. And those people don't forgive. You do something against one of those and 20 years later he still remembers it. So this was one of the things that, that we had to deal with. Uh, the culture, their, their ideas are so different from everything that we do. Now he says the laborers are few. So you've got all of these people out there. The fields are white under harvest. They're ready to be harvested. And, but where are the laborers? And this is something that we have been commanded by our Lord Jesus Christ to go out into all the world. This is the last command he gave to the church in Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Mark sixteen fifteen. And he said to them, Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Luke 24, 46, 48. And he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And then as we heard the offertory, a hymn I really love, So Send I You. It's John twenty twenty one. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And he left all that he had, his home, his glory, he left everything. He emptied himself and he came down to, to earth to take our punishment that we deserve. And then right as he was getting ready to go up to heaven in the first chapter of the book of Acts, uh, he's telling the disciples, they're worried about when, is he, when are you coming back and set up your kingdom? And he, he told them, so don't worry about that. God, God has that under control. He said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So that is <clears throat> the problem. Now our Lord had a solution. The next verse, uh, he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. 
Now, years ago, I met a man named uh, Jose Moreno, Joe Moreno, we called him. He was in our mission. He was one of the early guys. In 19, the late 40s, a group of uh, five missionaries, the first missionaries New Transmission ever sent out, these guys were green as gourds, didn't know what they were doing, but they went out to contact the Ayoreo tribe in, in Bolivia. And these guys cut their way through the jungle and finally made contact with them, and they were with them for I don't know how long. Nobody's really sure, but then one day the Indians said, you know, these guys... Uh, Every contact we've had with civilized people, uh, they, they've ended up doing harm to us. And so they clubbed our guys to death. Now, Joe was the guy who finally made a contact with those people. He had one philosophy that, that these first guys didn't have. He said, I always wear a pistol. He said, if those guys come to kill me, he said, I'll let them kill me. I would never, I would never uh, fight. But he said, they don't know that. And so he said, they see that pistol, and that just kind of holds them off a little bit. They're, they're not, you know, not going to try to come up with me at a club. They know what a gun is. They had enough run-ins with Bolivian national people that they knew what the gun was. And so Joe contacted, through the years he was in Brazil, he contacted more Indians than, I think, any other man alive, more tribes. The first tribe we worked with, the Marubu tribe, Joe was the one that made the original contact with them. Uh, <clears throat> he was speaking at our chapel one time. He was on furlough. He didn't come back often, but he was on furlough this one time. And he said, you know, I really was convicted. Here I was. I mean, I'm out in the jungle in Bolivia trying to reach this tribe, but the command of the Lord Jesus was going to all the world. And he said, I wasn't going into all the world. And he said, that really concerned me. That really bothered me that I wasn't really obeying his command. He said, what, should, what do I do? And he said, finally God showed me. He said, by praying, I can be involved in the whole world. I can pray for people in the far corners of the earth and, and have a part in their ministry, an effective part in their ministry, by my prayers. And that's exactly what the Lord Jesus Christ said we, we need to pray. And first is that we need to pray earnestly. James 5.16, Therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again and heaven gave rain and the earth bore its fruit. Prayer does work. It's the most effective force there is in the world today. Uh, Two passages in the Old Testament that really showed me how important it is for us to intercede, to pray. In Exodus chapter 32, Moses is up on the mountain, and he's receiving the, the law from God. He was up there 40 days and 40 nights. While he's up there, Israel fell into sin. You know, they, they told Aaron, they said, we don't know what, what happens to Moses, he's gone. So you make gods for us now. And so Aaron fashioned this golden calf, and the people began to not only worship, but they were, they were practicing all sorts of debauchery. It was just something horrible. And God told Moses, he said, uh, get down off the mountain. Israel has sinned, and I'm going to wipe them out in a second. In Exodus 32.10, Now therefore let me alone, that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them, in order that I may make a great nation of you. Now a lot of people at that point would have said, hey, that's a good idea. Get rid of them. I'll be the one now. You know, forget this Abraham. Forget all these pa the patriarchs. I'll be the guy. But Moses wasn't like that. He was probably the most humble man on the earth. And it said, But Moses implored the Lord his God and said, O Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? He goes on more details. And then he says, Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven. And all this land that I have promised I will give to your offspring and they shall inherit it forever. And the Lord relented from the disaster that he had spoken of bringing on his people. Intercession works. 
we have the most fantastic uh, <clears throat> lawyer, as we can say, or in, one who's doing intercession for us is the Lord Jesus Christ. Day by day, whenever we sin, whenever we do that what's wrong, and Satan comes up there and accuses us, the Lord Jesus is there and says to his father, I died for that sin. I already paid for that sin. In Ezekiel 22.30, a similar situation. God is about to bring judgment on Israel. And he says, And I sought for a man among them who should build up the wall and stand in the breach before me for the land that I should not destroy it, but I found none. Nobody to intercede. No intercessor. Therefore, I have poured out my indignation upon them. I have consumed them with the fire of my wrath. I have returned their way upon their heads, declares the Lord God. Folks, our prayers do matter. God does hear, and he does answer our prayers. And so let's <clears throat> be faithful about that. He said we need to pray to the Lord of the harvest. He's the one. It's our heavenly Father is the Lord of the harvest. Paul said in Romans 8, 26, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. So we've got the help of the Holy Spirit. And then in 1 John 5, 14, And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. Now Jesus said, pray the Lord of the harvest, that he would pray, send forth labors. And John said, if you ask anything according to his will, he will hear you. So this is a promise we have. If we pray and ask God to begin to send out labors, then God is going to do that. We must pray that he will send out labors. Pray, pray earnestly, pray to the Lord of the harvest, and pray that he will send out labors into the harvest. That's verse 38 there. And this is what God wants us to do. You're not praying outside of God's will as you ask him to send forth people to reach a lost and a dying world with the gospel. And then, when we pray, and this is, this is the kicker here, but it happens quite often. When we pray, we need to be willing to be a part of the answer. If God gets you praying and you really get, you get uh, <clears throat> on your knees before the Lord and, you see, and you're praying for different groups that God lays on your heart and Lord, please send somebody out there to reach those people. Or if you're praying for your next door neighbor, Lord, they don't know you and please send someone to witness to them. Or your schoolmates or the people you work with. Whoever it is that, that God has laid on your heart, you start praying, all of a sudden, I can just, just, just be ready for the Holy Spirit to say, that's fine. You go talk to him. You've got the gospel. You have, you have the Holy Spirit in your heart. Wherever God takes us, folks, he'll be with us every step of the way. Matthew 28, 30, he said, And behold, I'm with you always, even to the end of the world. When we went out 30 years ago, or 40, actually it was 43 years ago, we went out to Brazil. Shortly before we left, I was watching a news program, and the Pope, I don't, know who, I don't even know who was the Pope back then, it was back in 1966, um, but he was going to some country, and as he got off his plane, he got down, he knelt, and he kissed the ground of the country he was going to. Now, I'm a young missionary, romantic, boy, I'm going to Brazil, I'm going to, I'm going to win the whole country for Christ, so <clears throat> when we get to Brazil, first thing I'm going to do, I'm going to get off that plane, and I'm going to get down and, and kiss the ground of Brazil, this is the country God has sent me to. God kicked that out of me so hard and so fast that night that we got to Brazil. I, to this day, I've never kissed the ground in Brazil. Except one time when I was playing Tarzan, I was swinging on a vine and it tore loose. <laughs> and then I kissed the ground. <laughs> but we got in there in the middle of the night. We, we had tickets to the city of Belém. And then at the desk, we were supposed to pick up tickets to go on the next day to Manaus. No tickets. 
uh, <clears throat> girl said, well, we, our airline has a hotel across the street. We're going to put you up there. So we went over there, and this gal came out and said something in Portuguese. Gloria had had a little bit. I had not had any Portuguese. I was doing the linguistics course, so I didn't know what was going on. And finally, this businessman was there, and he said, well, they, <clears throat> they don't have room for you. Well, that's great. Two o'clock in the morning in, in a country you don't know anything about, in a city where your mission has no work whatsoever, you know, I'm thinking, what are we going to do now? So I went back to the air, uh, airport with the uh, skycap. He took, uh, took me to the desk. The lady wrote out something said, they've got to have a place for you. So we went back, and I got back to this place where I left my wife and kids, and there wasn't a soul there. So now what do I do? So this lady came in <clears throat> and, uh, that worked there, and I remembered one or two phrases from, my, from the uh, Portuguese class Gloria had. She had these tapes that she was uh, listening to, and I, so I said, Don't just tell me your esposa. I probably didn't say that exactly. I probably put about three, four Spanish in there. But, I mean, she understood what I was saying, and she answered me, and I didn't understand a word she was saying. But she, could, she looked at my face, and she could tell that blank, look, I, I didn't know what in the world was going on. So she, she took us to the room, and that night, you talk about praying. I had, had a two-fold request. Lord, please send us here somebody tomorrow who speaks English so we can get these tickets worked out, and please let it be a missionary. Well, the next morning, I went over to the, air, uh, the airport to see if I could buy tickets to go on to Manaus. We had nothing in, in the city of Berlin. And <clears throat> that morning, this is back in the days of the Cold War, and if the Soviet Union had chosen that morning to drop an atomic bomb on the airport of Berlin, probably only two people would have been killed, me and, and one other guy that was in there. There was nobody in that airport. There was no way to buy tickets. So when I got back to our room, there was this fellow there, and he was talking, and the first thing he said to me when I walked in was, Sprechen Sie Deutsch. Well, I don't Sprechen. <laughs> Maybe through a few words, I understood what he was saying. So I said in Spanish, do you speak Spanish? Because I had three years of high school Spanish. And so he talked what he thought was Spanish, and I talked what I thought was Portuguese, and, and uh, finally got the idea he wanted us to move to a different room. So I grabbed the suitcases, walked out the door, and as I was walking to this other room, and again, didn't know what in the world was going to happen. I saw a lady what looked very Brazilian, and so I'm waiting for her to say bon dia, which is good morning. And as I was walking, she said, you coming or going? I dropped my suitcases. Now, I didn't grab her and hug her, but I was feeling like it. <laughs> Turned out she and her husband were with Mission Aviation Fellowship, the same uh, mission that the Conenbergs are working with. They were going to the States, but they had gotten held up because of a uh, strike by Eastern Airline mechanics. They could, they could only get them up to Miami, so rather than for the airline to pay for the the, hot, uh, the hotel up there, they decided to uh, keep them in, in Belang. Of course, I think God had quite a big <clears throat> part in that. And so after that, everything worked out. In Hebrews, the 11th chapter, verse 8, they're closing, he said, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. That was us. We went out, and some of you, God's going to ask to do the same thing. Take off and go. You don't know where you're going. Listen, the first time that plane took us out to the Maruba work, it, it was a, when, when we were up 3,000 feet and I saw where he was going to land the plane, I didn't even think he could get a canoe in that water. But this one pilot, he was a, uh, with the ABWE, and that guy was one of the most fantastic pilots I've ever flown with, and he, he put his old float plane down there. He spent the night with us. Next morning, he got in his plane, and he took off. And if you want to feel alone... You're out in the middle of the jungle. These people didn't speak Portuguese. They only spoke their own language. They were monolingual. I did have two single fellows that were there to help us. But even after a couple of days, they had to, to make a trip down river. So we were there alone. And that's what happened with Abraham. He had no idea where he was going. And we kind of knew where we were going, but we really didn't have any idea what we were getting into. 
It goes on, it says, By faith he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. So we didn't live exactly in tents, but some of the houses we had were not much better. Uh, He said, For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Folks, don't be afraid to follow God's leading wherever he takes you. You young people, you've got your whole lives ahead of you to serve the Lord. Don't be afraid to follow him. I could tell you story after story after story of how we got into situations I didn't know how we were going to get out of, and God always intervened. I mean, we're still here. Nobody in this world is more afraid of snakes than I am. In Brazil, they say it's, uh, it's, uh, they got 40 different kinds of snakes. 38 of them are poison. The other two will squeeze you to death. Probably slightly an exaggeration, but not much. And I had the record down there. I saw more snakes than the other missionary. And God took the guy who was more afraid of snakes than anybody and put him in the middle of the Brazilian jungle. And the reason I saw more snakes than anybody else, they're out looking you know, at the jungle, looking at the trail. I'm looking for snakes. <laughs> and I was very rarely disappointed. So if God can use me, he can use anybody. And it's not just in Brazil. It's next door, your next door neighbor. It's, it's the people that you work with. As God brings you in contact, and it's not something we have to force, the Holy Spirit's going to open up situations for us. If our life is backing up our witness, then God is going to open up situations. And <clears throat> just remember, as you walk out these church doors, that you're going into the mission field. And when you're going into the mission field, you're not going alone. Father, we just thank you this morning for the promises of your word. We thank you that you have given us this challenge to pray to you, the Lord of the harvest, to send forth laborers. And Father, I really believe there probably are people here whose lives you could use to go out and and to reach people for Christ. And just pray that you will just use them and guide. We thank you, Father, for the uh, ministry the church has here in the community with the food pantry and how you're using it to reach people. And we just pray that you will continue to bless that ministry and other ministries. And Father, I just pray for each life here this morning that as we go forth in this building this morning that we just might feel your presence with us and that your spirit might use us in the way he sees fit. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. He is jealous for me Love's like a hurricane I am a tree Bending beneath the weight of his wind and mercy When all of a sudden I am unaware of these afflictions Eclipsed by glory And I realize just how beautiful you are And how great your affections are for me Oh, how He loves us Oh, oh, how He loves us How He loves us all For me, love's like a hurricane. I am a tree bending beneath the weight of his wind and mercy. 